uh, I just got a, a uh, course correction from heaven uh, during the worship time. So worship team, thank you so much for being faithful and obedient to the Lord. I really felt there was something so strong uh, when Pastor Dan got up here and talked about the beauty of the Lord. And, you know, you become like that which you behold. And that's why worship is so powerful, because when we behold him, we become like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that. As we behold him, we become like him. And so if there's an area of your life that you see is not like Christ, fix your eyes upon that part of who Christ is, right? So we don't become more pure by just trying to become pure. We become pure by focusing on the purity of who God is, by focusing on the holiness of God, setting our gaze uh, on that particular aspect and character and nature of God. And then in that process of beholding that and worshiping that, uh, there's an inner work of transformation that happens. And um, I don't know, I just feel like the Lord uh, dropped something in my spirit this morning. I had one particular direction I was going to go, so bear with me this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 61. And if you're here with us today for the first time, I'd like to greet you. My name's Jay Duncan. My beautiful wife, Christy, here uh, on the front row is, is, is the gal who keeps me in line. And uh, we're just honored to serve you guys in the capacity of lead pastors here at Antioch Church. We've been on a series for a few weeks now on the concept of activation. And uh, the whole concept or the whole idea of being activated is that God has a destiny for each of our lives. In fact, today I was going to speak and teach on the biblical worldview of destiny and why it's important for us to understand what destiny is and, for, um, and how we can partner with God and participate with God in discovering destiny and walking destiny out. Uh, but it dawned on me as we were worshiping the Lord and particularly as, um, as we were inviting the beauty of God to touch the places of our lives that are not as beautiful, it's difficult to become activated in areas of our life where there's brokenness. It's difficult for us to be activated where there are ashes in and of ourselves. And so in our activation series for the past five weeks, we've been speaking on vision and vision is good, but if there's a place in our lives where there is shame or there's grief or there's a poverty of soul or a poverty of spirit, it's hard for us to capture the vision of the Lord. It's hard for us to dream with God. And at times in our journey, we have to be uh, put back together by God before we can dream with God. How many of you guys are tracking with what I'm saying? We have to allow his wholeness to enter into us before we can see like he sees. And that's a very natural and normal part of the Christian life. I know that in some faith circles, it's looked down upon if uh, you acknowledge that you're going through a difficult time or that you are in a, in a hardship or in a time of adversity or a season of struggle. But I want you to know that is a natural part of the Christian life. And in those moments, we have the opportunity where we can draw closer to who God is. Those moments provide opportunities for us to discover another facet of the character and the nature and the goodness of who God is. It also provides us an opportunity to be the recipients of his restoring and healing power and of his grace. And so I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 61 and, and we're going to unfold some things I believe is the assignment of the Lord for us this morning. Activation cannot happen without restoration. Father, we're asking for the spirit of 
healing and the spirit of restoration, the spirit of grace. We ask today that according to the promise of your word, that you would give us a crown of beauty where there are ashes in our lives. We thank you for the prophetic ministry of your spirit that has been so charged and so alive here this morning. God, that as we set our eyes upon your beauty, we believe that the unbeautiful parts of us are transformed. We believe that there is no part of our lives that is beyond the scope of your redemptive power. We believe that your hand can go into our very past and that you can heal things that we have messed up. We believe that you are the master potter and where we have messed up and marred up the clay on the wheel, we entrust ourselves again to your perfect hands to restore us and to make us beautiful. And so God, I declare a spirit of beauty in the house this morning. I declare a spirit of beauty to be upon our hearts and upon our minds. And God, that you would transform those things in our lives that we have marred and that you would make them beautiful as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 61, let's look at verse one. The Bible says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. No, you can have a spirit of despair that comes upon you. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. All right, here we go. We're going to have a good time this morning. Uh, let's go back up here to the top in verse one. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, number one, to preach good news to the poor. You know, there are times in our lives where we experience poverty, poverty of spirit, poverty of soul. In fact, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter five, verse three, Matthew chapter five, verse three, we're gonna hang out in Isaiah 61. That's gonna be our reference point and our landing pad. But in Matthew chapter five, verse three, Jesus in the Beatitudes is teaching the people on the mountain. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are times in our lives where we find ourselves empty, where we find ourselves in need. In fact, Jesus said that unless you come to the place of realization, unless you realize that you have need of me, you won't seek after me. Unless you come to the place where you realize that I have something that I have to offer to you, you won't make a demand for that. Many times Jesus would stand up and he would say things like this. He would stand up in front of the marketplace or in front of a crowd of people and he would say, I am the bread of life. And everyone who comes and eats of me, they're gonna have life. Or he would stand up in front of a crowd of people and he would say, all of you who are thirsty, come and drink of me and you won't thirst anymore. Not just physically, we're not talking about physical. We're talking about there is a satisfaction 
and a fulfillment in the depths of your spirit, the reason why you were created, the reason why you and I have been placed on this planet and been given life and breath and purpose and meaning and existence can only be found when our spirits drink of living water. And here in the scriptures in Isaiah 61, this is, this is truly a scripture, a passage of restoration. If you read through the entire book of Isaiah, you'll see how God prophetically through his servant Isaiah speaks words of judgment, words of warning to the people of Israel. And through that disciplinary process of judgment, he brings them to a place of promise. And he says, if you will respond, I will restore. If your heart will be tender and soft and receptive, the promise is for those of you who are poor, those of you who are poor in spirit, know that I will bring you good news. I like that right there in Isaiah 61. The way that I framed this out today is that for every single one of these subjects or for every one of these situations, there is a remedy. And Isaiah 61 says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And so if you're in an area of your life right now where you're experiencing great lack, if you're in an area of your life where you're experiencing great need and you say, I am experiencing poverty of soul, poverty of spirit, poverty of heart, poverty of hope, poverty of dreams. You know, we've been speaking on vision and you would say, I'm empty there. I'm depleted. I cannot believe again. The word says what you need is good news. You need good news. And we know that as the scriptures are related to, the scriptures of the gospel is referred to as good news, but the whole of scripture is good news. I want you to know that in every area of your life, God has good news. Where you're experiencing depletion, God has good news. If there's been areas of your life that have been robbed, God has good news. Are you hearing me this morning? Your destiny is not a destiny of emptiness and meaninglessness and poverty and lack. The good news is, is that there is a promise from God for every area of your life. For every season of your life, God has something to say about it. For every hardship and every injustice and all opposition, God has good news for every area of our lives. I love the promise that we see in, in, in the book of James chapter one, where it says that every good and perfect gift comes from the father above. I want you to know today that God is good. And the badness of the devil and the injustice of the earth does not negate or overpower the goodness of God for you, towards you and in you. Let's keep reading along right here, Isaiah chapter 61. Number two today, for those of you who might be brokenhearted, scripture says that he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I received an incredible article a few months ago by one of the moms of the house here on some incredible revelation as it relates to the brokenhearted. And, you know, many of us go through times where our hearts get broken. Maybe there's an offense that settles in. Maybe there was a hope and an expectation that we had in our lives and we experienced disappointment. Maybe there was a relationship and our heart was joined with another person. And perhaps for whatever reason, that relationship was divided or separated or maybe lost a loved one. And the scripture says that in those moments when you find that your heart is broken, 
Many times we go through a lot of the right steps in order to get our heart to a place where it's healed. But even physically, there are times when something is broken and when it's reset or it's reconnected or put back together, it's not enough just to put it together. It has to be bound up. It has to be bound up. It has to be held together for a season or a process of time. There's a great verse here in Psalm 147. Turn with me to Psalm 147. I believe it's verse four. Let me get my hands over here on this. I've thumbed through the pages of the scripture this morning. Psalm 147, verse three. Scripture says that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. See, God's not interested in just giving us a quick fix. God wants to walk you through the process that you need for as long as you need to walk through that process to come to the place where whatever was fractured or whatever was broken on a heart level will be completely healed and restored to the fullest. So where we experience poverty, we need good news. Where we experience a broken heart, we need God to come and bind that up. And I pray right now over everyone in this room, whether it be for right now in your life or something you've experienced in the past or maybe even something that's in your future or my future, I pray that the hands of the Father would be very near to every single one of us. The places where we experience brokenness of heart, that he would come and be quick to bind up the brokenness of our hearts. You know, forgiveness is such an incredible, powerful component and reality and necessary tool to the Christian life. Many times what we do is we walk through the steps and the processes of forgiveness and we get our heart clean and we get all the infection out of that wound, but our heart is still broken because our heart hasn't been bound up. And many of you may need to just go back to the Father and say, Lord, my heart may be clean and free from infection. And when I'm around that person, uh, I don't feel the things that I used to feel anymore. I don't, I don't feel those uh, extremes of emotions, but there is still a pain and there is still an ache. And it might be that the Father just needs to bind that heart up and hold that heart together. Number three in Isaiah chapter 61 The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and number three, to proclaim freedom for the captives. It's very difficult to operate as an activated one when we are also living in captivity. And I want you to know today that the promise of the Lord for you is that captivity does not have to be your story. Many times throughout the scriptures, there are so many stories on the personal levels, people like Joseph, down into the uh, national level, people uh, such as the children of Israel who found themselves in bondage and found themselves in captivity. You know, when you're in captivity, you don't have any rights. When you're in captivity, you don't experience the life and the freedom and the joy and the meaning and the purpose that God has created you to live with. Even if you wanted to do something different, you couldn't when you're living in captivity, when you're living in bondage to sin, when your uh, emotions and your affections and your decisions are yoked together with certain things. That's why 
Sin is one of those things in our lives that we must invite the power of God into our lives where sin is because sin is deceptive and the very nature of sin is to hold you captive. That is its purpose. The purpose of sin is to drive you away from the Father and it's to hold you in, uh, in captivity and imprisonment to its desires, to its will, so that you don't fulfill the will of God, you fulfill the will of sin. I was listening to a teaching this past week and uh, it was they were relating the concept of sin to a parasite and the speaker was talking about a trip that he had taken to Malaysia and at particular parts uh, in Malaysia, there's, there's these trees and they have these parasites that actually lock onto the trees and they suck the life out of these trees. Well, you know, that's what sin does. Sin, when it lays a hold of our lives, will begin to pull the life of God out of us. It will begin to pull the vibrance and the radiance and the beauty of God. And you can see it in a person's countenance. You can see it in their eyes. How many of you ever known somebody that maybe late in their life, they gave their lives to Christ, but sin had taken a toll on their lives and they looked older than they actually were. They looked more tired. They looked more beat up. It's because sin sucks life out of us. It pulls life. Jesus said, I came to give life and I came to give it overflowing. So anything that the enemy has taken, God can restore and he can fill back up. But you need to know that sin is designed to suck life out of you. Sin sucks. <laughs> Quite literally. Book of Galatians chapter five, verse one. Paul says, Paul says it like this. He says, it is for freedom. Can we just throw that up there, Jeff? Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. And I know today what I'm doing is I'm just, I'm hitting a broad stroke. I'm hitting a lot of things at the same time as it relates to being activated in the Lord today and our need to be restored before we can be activated. But I want you to know there are incredible tools, incredible resources, incredible ministries that are out there. Sometimes many of us are just walking along in ignorance. You know, the scripture says in Hosea 4, 6, that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And if you don't know that you can be free, you won't take advantage of, you won't utilize the tools that are available for you to help move you into greater realms of freedom. I'll never forget as a young kid when I laid a hold of Neil Anderson's book on um, the bondage breaker, as a young man reading through that book. And as I was uh, reading through some of the stories and reading through some of the principles and the concepts, I never knew how important understanding my identity in Christ was to walking in the fullness of victory that God had purchased for me. Some of this stuff is not automatic. We have to unlearn patterns of captivity. We have to unlearn mindsets. We have to unlearn ways of thinking and ways of relating and ways of practicing and participating with certain types of sins. Some of these things are ingrained inside of us and we've got to, uh, we've got to fill up old ruts and we've got to create new ones, new, new ways of approaching life. Are you hearing me today? And God can do this. This is why the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
See, what will happen is, is if, if we misdiagnose something and assume that everything is spiritual, I just got to just pray my way through this, or I got to cast something out of me. Some things have to be retrained. You know, the, the scripture talks about being trained in righteousness. You know, a free man lives differently than a person who's been in bondage. That's why in John chapter five, Jesus is talking with a, uh, with, with a person and he's, um, uh, as the story goes at the pool of Bethesda, an angel would come and he would stir the waters. And the first person that would get into those waters would be healed. And Jesus is having a conversation with a guy who's been crippled since he was born. And the first thing that Jesus asked this man, which we would think would be very, very interesting. Jesus says, do you want to be well? Because it's going to take a different level of self-government in your life to walk in wholeness than it did to expect everybody to do things for you. Freedom requires greater responsibility than bondage does. When you're in bondage, you don't have to give thought to all the, you know, you don't have to give thought to self-government. You don't have to give thought to being, you know, making responsible decisions. You have traded your responsibility to the one that holds you captive. That's why many families fall apart. Many marriages disintegrate because men or women or children, they trade the responsibility of freedom for living in captivity. And we have to be retrained on how to be responsible people again. We have to be trained into the image of God because God's design for you and God's design for me is for us to move into incremental levels of self-government and independence in him. Not independence away from him, but a sense of independence in him. True interdependence. But it's difficult to walk as an activated one if you're operating as a captive one. Isaiah chapter 61 he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. And number four, release from darkness for the prisoners. Notice how every single one of these, I mean, this is just so amazing. If you go back, and we're going to hit eight different points today. But just look with me for a second, if you would, at verse one. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Say, God's spirit is on me. In other words, God's spirit wants to activate you for a kingdom assignment and for a destiny. He wants to anoint you. He is here. He is available to anoint you to help people that are poor in spirit, to help people whose hearts have been broken, to help people that are living in captivity. You cannot free that which you are bound to. You can't help somebody else get free of the same thing that you yourself are bound to. So as the pattern goes in the spirit, get free and then free others. Get free and then help pull somebody else out of that place of bondage and captivity. Activation is not possible without wholeness, without healing, without restoration in our lives. Number four, release from darkness for the prisoners. There's many places we could go here. Let's just, let's go camp at Luke chapter one here for a few scriptures. We'll look at Luke one and then we'll look at John one as it relates to release from darkness for the prisoners. It's amazing, the longer that you live in bondage to something, the longer that you give your heart and your affection and your way of life over to something, light begins to diminish. Reason, thinking, soundness of mind gets less and less clear. In fact, 
uh, in the book of Jonah. Jonah was commissioned as a prophet to go to the people of Nineveh and to go and warn them of the sin that they were in. And the scripture says of the people of Nineveh that they had become so debased that they couldn't even tell their right hand from their left. Speaking as an analogy that those things that are bad, they were considering good. And those things that were good, they were considering bad. And you know, as a nation, we're kind of right there as a culture. When we can look at things that clearly lead to bondage and say, that is good, we need to celebrate that. We need, we, we, we need to make that more accessible and more available to people. It speaks to the condition of a culture when we call righteousness bad and we, call un, and we celebrate unrighteousness. But that's what happens. That's where he's talking about the darkness of living in prison. The longer you live there, scripture says that our conscience has become seared. And we have no sensitivity anymore to our conscience. We can look at that in Ephesians 4 if you want to on your own. Luke chapter 1, this is the prophet Zechariah. Actually, he's a priest functioning in a prophetic capacity in this verse. But in verse 78, I think we referenced this last week, if I'm not mistaken. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Speaking of Jesus here. Look at verse 79. This is the purpose that Jesus was sent to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, one of the reasons why Jesus came as light, scripture says in John 1 that he was light and in himself was the light of men. He had to come to the earth because the light had to penetrate darkness in order for darkness to realize that it was dark. The reason why you and I must engage dark areas the reason why you and I must be intentional about befriending people that don't know Christ. The reason why you and I cannot shrink back because the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. We must engage dark places. Let's go to John chapter one. The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you, not only to bring you out of darkness, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to go and shine light in dark places. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you to release from darkness those who are imprisoned. Let's take a look at John chapter one, verse four. We'll look at a couple of verses here. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness has not understood it. Go with me to John chapter three, just one chapter over or one page over John chapter three. Look at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Friends, I want you to know today that there is a light for the darkness that you are in. There is a light for the darkness that you are in. You know, revelation is so critical to the Christian journey. 
And revelation is something that is available for every single one of us. It is a revealing, it is light shining into the darkness. Revelation is nothing more than light entering darkness. Revelation is critical to activation. I can think back on times in my life when I was cruising along in one direction and then revelation would come and I would, re I would recognize, oh my Lord, what I'm doing is wrong. Whether it be the way that I was speaking or whether it be the way that I was thinking or whether it be the way that I was interacting with people or treating my spouse or treating my staff or treating my children, revelation comes and it activates a change, right? Revelation activates transformation. When light enters into darkness and you begin to see the disparity of light and dark, when you begin to see that distinction, you cannot help but to change. Now listen, let me send you a warning. With revelation comes responsibility. And according to John chapter three, as revelation comes, the more that you begin to ignore that revelation, the more that you begin to discount and disdain that revelation of truth that comes, well, what happens is our minds and our hearts and our consciousness become desensitized, all right? And we become more susceptible to deception. I believe that for every person, specifically for every Christian who has fallen into the clutches of deception, there was a long path that they walked where there were attempts at revelation that were coming their way. And God, God will go the lengths with us to bring revelation to our lives that may come through a spouse and you may pawn them off as just, hey, stop, stop, just get off my case, but God's trying to bring revelation. That may come through uh, a TV broadcast, it may come through a radio program, it may come through a book you're reading. Wherever it comes, I know and I trust that God is hunting our hearts down to bring us into revelation so that we can experience greater freedom. And so... A prophetic warning to the house today, where you hear that word of revelation, where you hear God putting his finger on certain things. And listen, there are things in our lives that may not necessarily be sinful, but they, they may be seasonal. And what I mean by that is there might've been a season in your life where what you were doing based on your maturity or your calling or your influence, you might've been able to get away with it. But as God is advancing you, things that you used to be able to do, you're not going to be able to do them anymore. And that's between you and the spirit of truth and the one who leads you and guides you into freedom. He might've said those movies at that season of your life, they were fine, but don't presume that because you could do that then at that place of maturity, you're at a different place now. And influence and authority and leadership and maturity, all of those have a bearing on those kind of things. People ask me my certain positions on certain gray areas and essentially my position is very, very simple and it's if it's gonna cause my brother to stumble, I want no part with it because I recognize that there is a gift of influence and I'll make decisions that I need to make even if, it, if they're self-sacrificial decisions in order for that influence in the lives of other people to be protected. So today you need to know that the good news is that God wants to release from darkness those that are living in prison. Number five, we're gonna look here at verse three, Isaiah 61, verse three, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Provide for those who grieve. Grief is a very natural process when one experiences loss. I don't know if that's freeing for anybody here in this room, but I want to say it again. 
Grief is a very natural, and let me also say this, necessary process. It doesn't make you a superhero in the faith to lie to yourself and to deny the grieving process. It only prolongs the healing work of God. One of the first things I do when someone experiences loss in their lives or a death of a loved one, and I'm able to connect with them on the phone or connect with them in person, is I just pastorally, I say, you know, it's so important that you grieve and you take time to grieve and you grieve with the Lord in a healthy manner. I mean, when we lose opportunities, when we, when we, um, when there are hopes and dreams that are inside of our heart for a certain opportunity and that opportunity is lost or thwarted, it, that hurts the heart. And it's natural and it's normal and it's necessary to grieve. Not to allow that grief to control your life or to shackle your life down, but, but here's, here's what I, I presume, that when we deny grief, we open the door for grief to control us. We really do. But when you grieve with God, he walks you through that process. And that's where it says here in Isaiah 61, he says, I have anointed you and I'm sending you to those that are grieving to provide for them. Whenever you lose something, you grieve, but in every loss, there is a provision that God has. And we're not talking about being coy. When God closes one door, he opens another. I mean, we're not talking about that, okay? We're talking about getting the perspective of heaven. We're talking about getting the, the, the vantage point of God's perspective when there's loss. Because in Christ, all, anything that is lost, there is something that he can provide and something that he can restore. Will it be absolutely the same? Probably not. But every good and perfect gift that comes from God, it will be something that moves you forward in your journey in the Lord. Those of you who are grieving today, I wanna to give you good news. I wanna give you healing news that God has a provision for you. In fact, if you're here right now and you would say, I am grieving, there is, there is a lost opportunity, there is, a, there is a loss of a hope, of a dream, of a relationship, of a loved one. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just slip your hand up. I wanna pray for you right now. Father, right now I pray for your provision. According to your word in Isaiah 61, three, that you would provide for those who grieve in Zion. Father, I thank you that right now for every one of us in this room that are experiencing loss, I'm asking for your provision. For every one of us right now in this room that are grieving, I'm asking that you would take your hand and that you, oh God, would walk us through the valley of grief. Father, that we would, we would learn to grieve with our emotions, but we would also learn to grieve by our spirit. And that our spirit connected to your spirit would help guide us and guard us and govern us and walk us through the process and the cycle of grief. And I pray that you would bring my, bre my, my, my brothers and sisters in this room to wholeness. I pray shalom over the soul of every one of my friends in this place today. I pray a restoration and I pray a provision that can only come from heaven above in Jesus' name. God bless you, grace on you that are experiencing grief and loss in the season of your life right now. Isaiah 61, three, point number five. To proclaim 
freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and to comfort all who mourn. I think I skipped one there in verse two, to comfort all who mourn. Number five is to comfort all who mourn. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter one. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. My very first class in intro to pastoral care in seminary many years ago, the very first day I walked in there, the dean of theology who was teaching the class at that time had us open up to 2 Corinthians chapter one. And he had us begin here at verse three. I want to read this with you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Would you say all with me this morning? He comforts you in all of your troubles. I want to pause right there. I want you to know that no matter how small it may seem and no matter how insignificant it may feel, the God of all comfort and the Father of all compassion wants to comfort you in all of your troubles. We have a tendency, or at least I'll speak to myself, I know that at times I have a tendency to uh, shoulder things that God is asking for me to share with him. Don't shoulder what you should share. Don't carry what, anything that you don't need to carry on your own. That's why God says, cast all of your cares upon me, all of them, small to large, cast, entrust, throw upon, lighten the load, take off of yourself, all of the things that are burdening you. It's amazing when you look at the material that's out now concerning stress and anxiety and all of these things that are just dominating our culture. You almost wonder if we would just do a little bit of a better job casting our cares upon God and entrusting unto him those things that concern us. Friends, I want you to know that he wants to comfort you in all of your troubles. The word comfort there isn't, isn't what we think of just coming and consoling. It actually means to strengthen. It means to put strength and courage into the heart of a person. And so in every situation that you're walking through that's difficult, taxing, burdensome, worrisome, God wants you to know there is a strength and there is a courage that is available from him for you. He wants to comfort you in all of your troubles. But watch this right here as we look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. I want you to think about this. When you and I refuse God the right to comfort us, we are missing out on receiving from him a comfort that we can offer to others. As the scripture says, to the degree that you receive perspective and strength and revelation and vision and courage and comfort from God, to the degree that you receive that to that degree, then can you comfort those? I love the way the NIV words this because it says essentially God comforts us in all of our troubles so we can comfort others in any of their troubles. 
He comforts us in all of our troubles, which means take everything to to the Father so that you can be prepared then to minister to others no matter what it is that they're walking through. You can be prepared for any situation because you are practicing the process of receiving comfort from God. All right, number seven, which we talked about in our worship set today, so I'm not gonna spend too much time on this. I do wanna make one point of reference to it. We're not gonna spend too much time on it. Isaiah 61, three, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I love that, don't you? Who in the world would be able to make a crown out of ashes? This speaks to the person whose life has fallen apart. This speaks to dreams that have been burned up. This speaks to opportunities missed. This speaks to bad decisions made. This speaks to where we have marred the clay on the wheel. God says, don't you worry about that. There is no part of your life that you've messed up that I am unable to redeem. If I had time, we would walk through stories like Rahab the prostitute, We would walk through stories like David who committed murder and adultery. We would talk about people like Tamar. We would talk about the gal, I love how Caitlin referenced this today, the gal who broke her alabaster box before Jesus. Jesus restored her. Jesus put her back together. Jesus covered her. When people tried to accuse her and point fingers, he said, stop talking about her. What she has done is way more beautiful for me than what you've done. And you've walked with me for three years. And and as a matter of fact, uh, I'm gonna put her story in the scriptures and people will always know what she did. I'm I'm gonna make sure that when people think about her, they don't think about her mistakes. All they think about is her worship. They're not gonna see her mistakes. They're gonna see her worship. In fact, let me just say this. Uh, Don't ever judge somebody's worship. Unless you know their journey, you'll never understand their worship. And if he's not that valuable to you, then don't point fingers at somebody else because he's done something in their lives that they are completely lost. And they must give to him everything because he who has been forgiven much loves much. So this is gonna be a house where we're gonna have people that are gonna be delivered from drug addiction and alcoholism and poor decisions sexually. And I want this to be a place where if you wanna pour it out on the savior of your soul who has redeemed your life, friend, you go for it. You do it. You go for it. I, I just, I think, I'm starting to get in a soapbox now. I need to get off of that thing. You know, come on. I think it's absurd that we try to lower, we try to lower what God is worth to, to, to the place of comfort of those who, ha- who have had no revelation of his activity in their lives, right? You know what we need? We, we, we need to raise the bar of revelation so that people who are not responding to God go, maybe there's something wrong with me that I'm not the one dancing. Maybe there's something wrong with me that I'm not the one lifting my hands. And I would say, yeah, there probably is. Think about it. Press, press into God. Let him touch your life. He gives us beauty for ashes. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, the Bible says that he makes everything beautiful in its time. 
Friends, I want you to know that whatever you've experienced in your life where you feel like things have been burned up and broken down and blown out, I want you to know today that God indeed makes everything beautiful in its time. Hold on, walk with him, get to know him. Don't give up. Don't go back to those things that messed your life up. Don't go back to those mistakes. Don't go back to that abusive relationship. Don't go back to those wrong decisions. Don't go back to those same environments until you have a crown of beauty. And until you can stand tall and erect and firm and vibrant and secure, until there is a light that is beaming from your eyes, don't go back into those places until you've received your crown of beauty. And I want you to know there is a crown of beauty that is waiting for you in every place of brokenness and in every place of mistake in our lives. Number eight. Boy, this is so good. Isaiah 61. He gives unto us the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Sadness comes. Weeping may endure through a night. The Bible says that joy comes in the morning. Joy is your portion. If you have your Bible here in uh, Psalm 1611, Scripture says that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. When your soul gets saddened, when your uh, life experiences difficulty, friend, run into the presence of God. The safest and the greatest and the most important place, the most restorative place you can find yourself is in the presence of the one who delivers joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. There is an overflowing of joy. I, I, I do believe that there are very real, serious medical conditions in terms of depression, but there are, there are also prescriptions for those that are experiencing difficult moments. And friends, it's called the word of God and it's called the presence of God because it's in his presence that we get his perspective. It's in his presence that he pours joy out upon us. And so for those of you who are at a time of mourning right now, you're in a time of sadness, I wanna say, hang in the presence of the Lord. You know, there've been times in my life where I, I couldn't do anything but just throw worship music on and just lay on the floor. I had no strength to raise my hands. I had no prayer to come out of my mouth. All I could do is sit and just say, God, cover me and wash over me and hide me in the presence of the Lord and fight my battles for me. You know, the scripture says, uh, cling to the rock that is higher than I. He says, I, I have clung to the rock. Sometimes, you know, when, when, when the waves are crashing over you, all you can do is just hunker down and just lay a hold of that rock and just, it, it, it will stop. The waves will stop. But if you let go, the waves will overtake you. Life can be overwhelming, but the scripture says, lay a hold of that rock. Christ is the rock. Lay a hold of the rock that is higher than every wave in your life. There is a gladness that is for you. It is your portion. It is your inheritance. You will smile again. I just declare over you, laughter will be your portion. That your latter years will be greater than your former years. That you can look upon 
what the canker worm has stolen. You can look upon what the enemy has taken from you. And I declare that you will look upon those times of sadness in your life and you will look with joy and you will laugh. You will laugh at your enemies. You will laugh at your mistakes because joy is your portion. And in closing here, Isaiah chapter 61 closes and it says this. It says, I will give unto you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Caitlin, would you mind coming up real quick if you wouldn't, wouldn't mind doing that, please? I will give you a garment of praise. Some translations say instead of a spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise. There is a garment of praise. A garment of praise that is available for you. In fact, I would say this over you, Antioch Church, that part of the process, part of the switch that must be flipped in your life for activation to come is you must learn how to praise. Praise is critical to move you out of old seasons. Praise takes off of you the mourning, the sadness, the despair of the brokenheartedness. It takes that off of you. Praise is transformative. I will give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. How many of you have felt like either you're here right now or you've been in places of your life where you have felt hopeless, you have felt like you were in a place of despair? How many of you are here? Just throw your hands up. I want you to know that there is a praise that is available for you. Let me also say this. You need to understand this. There, there is a sacrifice of praise that can, that can only be purchased in difficult seasons. I would, I would almost venture to say that the price of your praise goes up to the degree of your difficulty. The price of your praise. You understand what I'm saying? The weight, the worth, the value, it increases in value. If you would just stand with me to your feet. I, I, I sense in my heart there's a healing anointing. I sense there's a liberating deliverance anointing in this place. Dan, if you would, can you bring those words up to me? I, I'm, I'm just curious if some of those words might have. Scripture says, lift up the hands that hang low. Lift them up. You know, when our hands get heavy and life gets heavy, sometimes you just have to say, soul, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna praise the Lord. I'm gonna proclaim the goodness of God. I'm gonna set my faith in alignment with the character and the nature of God because that never changes. People may change, public opinion may change, the situation may change, but God will never change. There's a word that came forth in worship today. It's, it says, I heard the sounds of trumpets and shouts and praise, and I saw cracks in the walls. There's a lot of ways that that can be interpreted. I'm not going to try to interpret that for you. That references the wall of Jericho, but for some of you, there may be walls around your life that you need to break out of. For some of you, that may represent walls around a promise that you need to break into. But here's what I do know, that praise breaks the walls in your lives. There's a word here about building an altar. 
and that where we build an altar that um, God falls on hearts that are open and his fire comes and he cleanses hearts. There's a word here that says the Lord wants to um, receive people into his family and break off isolation and loneliness. And there's a word here that speaks how humility will overcome pride in our lives. Father, we just wait upon you this morning. We ask that your spirit would come. God, we ask for those that are, that are poor right now that you would send good news. Just all around this room, could we just throw our hands up in a place of receptivity and faith and expectation. God, we pray that you would send good news to our hearts. God, I'm asking for the good news of your word. Every good and perfect gift that comes from you. God, we know that every promise in the word is yes and amen. That it is yes in Christ Jesus and the amen is spoken by us. We say amen to the good news and the good word that you are sending to us. God, I'm asking that, that this week, even this week, that Antioch Church, as we find ourselves in your word, as we find ourselves abiding and eating at the table of the bread of life, I'm asking today that good news would come to the poor this week. I'm asking that God, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, that you would hold together the broken and fractured pieces, and that you, with, your, with the heat of your love, you would cauterize, God. You would, you, would just, you would fuse together the broken pieces of our heart. God, I pray today freedom, freedom for the captives. I pray, God, that you would release from darkness those that are prisoners. I pray today for a comfort to come to those who mourn. I pray that you would make provision for those that are grieving. I pray for a crown of beauty. God, today we just say, have all of our ashes. Have all of our ashes, God. Have the ashes of our bad decisions. Have the ashes of our broken relationships. Have the ashes, God and bring us a crown of beauty. God, I just say, I see angels right now just dropping crowns right now upon your head. Stand up tall, stand up firm. Angels are placing crowns on your head. You are royalty. You are royalty, son. You are beautiful, daughter. It's bringing gladness where there is mourning. I prophesy over you, Antioch Church, that a new measure and a new level of praise comes and it drives away the spirit of depression and the spirit of despair and the spirit of heaviness and the spirit of hope deferred. God, I pray, let a new, let a surge of praise fill this house. Let a spirit of praise, let it come upon every house. Let it come upon every family. Let it fill every living room. God, we ask you for a new quality of praise, a new quality, God,